0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 184, Pi Plus One, recorded March 15th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the sultan of the soapbox talkroom, and joining me this week, as always, except for last week are your stalwart, most of the time, co-hosts, Chris the Command Line Godfather, and Seth the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly show of craziness, especially since I'm back. And
0: and I have to
2: confess that up until you read the title out loud, I was thinking that we were going to end up talking about the Raspberry Pi somehow. And uh, when you were talking, I went, oh, Pi Day. So, yes. It took yeah, me so a while. Yesterday,
0: there's a Pi Day every year, March thir, uh, March fourteenth, three point one four. But um, this was a little different because it was three point one four one five. And then if you did it at the right time, is we three point one four one five nine two six five four. I think it is. Um, <laughs> Google it five go- three that would round okay. up to four. So depending yeah, so on if to, you were- go to Facebook, uh, and there were a million posts about it. So at uh, nine twenty four nine fifty four nine 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 twenty three and fifty four seconds? Something like that. My brain has just taken a vacation. Uh was like the the pi f- to the greatest number you can get it using the Julian calendar. Uh so Julian or are we on the
1: Whatever calendar it is.
0: Are we on the Julian which what is the calendar? I don't
1: it? remember. I think it's Julian think, or what's yeah? The, it was
0: Gregorian first yeah. and then Julian. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh Julius Caesar. um uh, he didn't do it. It was just named after him. But anyway, uh, so using the current calendar that we use in the U.S. and most of the world, um, actually it doesn't work in Europe because the day and the month are reversed, Yeah, uh, was the closest you could get to pie. So everybody was going freaking nuts about pie day. So I thought I would honor that this is pie plus one.
1: Did any of you have pie on pie day? I did not. I did. My wife I had cheesecake, so it looks my, like a pie. That's close enough. Cheesecake
0: is a custard pie. Uh, It is. I mean, you call it like a Boston cream pie isn't a pie. It's a cake. Um, (laughs) And you don't park on driveways or or drive on driveways and you don't park on parkways. So the language (laughs) is
1: screwed up. (laughs) I had myself a nice lemon meringue pie for pie day. Uh, And I'll have again tonight because we're not quite done with the pie.
0: (laughs) I played around with my raspberry pie on pie day. There you go. It's a little more. Uh, accurate. Um, having some issues. I don't. I haven't decided whether it's the external drive I'm doing, or if it's a funky thing with the Pi Two, or maybe with the Alpha software I'm having to run on it. But randomly, for no apparent reason, the hard drive renamed itself. So well, it came from the factory with a funky. name like EDH uh, underscore one dash. You know, whatever, whatever the factory named it, and I just never changed that. Right. Well, for some reason, they it added an underscore to the end of that. Thus, everything in my library was wrong because it was pointing to the wrong directory. Hmm. Instead of ed-h1, it was pointing to ed-h1 underscore. I think we've been it, hacked by the NSA. I
2: think oh that's no. what it is? It's over. I think so.
0: <laughs> Running high. spent quite a bit of time before I figured that because in the in the GUI display, it didn't show the, the underscore. It wasn't until I pulled up the file manager and got a textual uh, representation of it. Uh, that it showed the underscore and I was like, well, that's funky. And so then I tried to rename it and it wouldn't let me said so I didn't have permissions to rename it. So that's weird. I, again, it, there's, it, there's any number of things that could have been at play there, but suddenly all 300 and something movies, 326, I think I'm up to now, just disappeared. And I mm. was like, holy crap. What's, what's the deal here? Everything. Cause the, 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 the library was still there, but every time I clicked on one, it said this file is not there. And so I went into file manager mode. And there they all were, and I went back to the library and it wasn't there. I went back to file manager and they were, and and I that's weird. Couldn't finally figure out that it was that stupid underscore.
1: Yeah, so. that's that's really weird. The only time I've ever seen anything like that is like when a, a drive tries to recover itself. Yeah,
0: and and you know, like I said, it, there's any number of possibilities. I'm using a SATA three drive in a usb enclosure plugged into a pi 2 running an alpha <laughs> version of osmc <laughs> so there's lots of points of failure that could happen there
1: yeah there is that that's sounds like a headache is this the pi
0: 2 or the pi it's the pi 2 it's the new one. maybe so maybe on somebody pi took day, a
2: picture of it with the flash camera could and could fried could. it yeah. i
0: have it in a black case to prevent that oh
1: there you go
0: uh, on pi day the pi 2 fought with me uh, <laughs>
1: It was angry for pie. It wanted so. Some. Chris,
0: welcome back. You weren't here last week. Nope. Uh, and we demand that you. Uh, do you have a note from your doctor?
1: I don't have a note from my doctor, but I do have a note for from the uh, hardware store because I had to go run to do a ha- uh, hot water replacement. My uh, my mother's hot water heater went kaplui Friday night. They do that. Yes, they do. And my, well, and hers went out critically bad, like water all over the basement. As in,
0: dumped forty gallons of water.
1: everywhere. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. So that was Friday night. Saturday was well we can get a water heater here in town for $900 or you could make a screaming trip to Billings to pick one up for $300. And so I went I guess I'll make it a trip to Billings then. <laughs> so yeah, that's what was going on. I was on my way back from Billings um and it was uh a little later than I was anticipating to get home and yeah, I missed it. But we did get the water heater in and it's heating water like a champ and there's no leaks or nothing. And this weekend I played plumber again and we did some work in my house for, you know, toilets and sinks and drains and stuff. So it's just been, I didn't sign up for being a plumber. I wonder where that job title. Well, you,
0: you signed up for being a homeowner,
1: which makes you. I'm not a homeowner a yet though. And an electrician. You're
2: a son. That's even worse. <laughs> that
1: too. Yeah. That, I think that's the bigger truth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so far everything I every plumber job I did none of them leak. So that's a a good start.
0: I had convinced myself that when my hot water see I did it. Hot water heater. When my water heater went out, I was going to replace it with one of those tankless things. Uh, which is essentially like a radiator with either a, a really intense electrical coil wrapped around it or uh, gas-flaming jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty cool. Instant hot water, never runs out, um, and you buy based on the volume you think you'll need at any one time. Yep. So I was thinking I've got five people in my house. uh Washing machine and dishwasher are pretty much in constant motion with five people in my house. So I would need something. I could run three sources at any one time. So when my water heater needed to be replaced, I went looking for those, and I found that uh, the cost was—I'm making this up because I don't remember exactly who was—but it was something like four thousand dollars just for the device, hmm. um, not in count, not counting the insulation. Because, and like you said, a water heater is three to four hundred typically because it's just a tank. Yeah, there's nothing to it. It's a t- it's a pot with a burner at the bottom, pretty much, um, and some fiberglass in there. So, but yeah, it was going to be several thousand dollars for that, and then only this company. Uh, would only allow licensed people to do it. And the nearest licensed person was like three hours away and was going to start billing me from the moment they got in their car. Wow. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get, go get a big pot with a burner in the bottom of it. This was several years ago. The rules may have changed since then, and I still think that's the way to go. Uh, but I do know a school around me that invested in them, and what, what they told me was the, it takes so much energy to heat the water that quickly because water is very difficult to heat, that's one of the reasons it's great for putting out fires. Um, that uh, their energy bills skyrocketed once they put those things in.
1: Huh? Hmm. Well, I would, I could see that if they went electric, if their electric plan, you know, you would burn thousands of kilowatts an hour just to per, you know, just to take a shower, or you know, thousands of kilowatts a minute just to take a shower. So if you're running electrical and you have an expensive electrical um, you know, rate, yeah, I could see your power bill going out, out the roof.
0: Water is an amazing molecule in that it can absorb just tremendous amounts of energy before it raises its own temperature. And the temperature is just a, heat temperature is just a measure of the amount of energy mm-hmm. in an object. We call it temperature, but it's really just a measure of energy. And uh, water can, can absorb tremendous energy before it changes its uh, state in any way, before there are any quantum leaps that take place. Yes, that's the right word. Um, <laughs> it's not a tele. It's not just a television show. with has got back.
2: But it's a good. You know, I was show. actually listening to a, a theology radio broadcast when I first heard the definition of quantum leap. And I almost had a wreck because I was like, that's what that means. I went all the time and I had never, uh, I'd never bothered to research it. And I'm listening to this, uh, religious podcast and they, and he defines quantum leap. And I was like, what? And then so when I got home,
0: I Googled it and I went, son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. Every time you turn on a fluorescent light bulb, you're watching billions of quantum leaps take place. Cause what happens is the, the, the gas inside it gets excited by the, uh, um, electrodes the energy uh d- the molecules do a quantum leap the energy is then absorbed into the phosphorescent coating on the glass which then absorbs that energy and releases it as light and then they do a quantum leap back down to their previous state and it starts all over again mm-hmm. so you what you thought was a fancy f- uh thing has actually been in every office building for 40 years or
2: 50 <laughs> years right i just you know i'd heard the term from the first of the tv show but i'd never bothered to like what does that term mean? Is it even a real term? And then lo and behold, I hear the definition. And we've
0: taken it in, in modern parlance to mean, uh, a large uh, advancement. That's what we refer to. You know, it's a quantum leap in whatever, uh, which is, is, you know, not really a bad definition because you are talking about the amount of energy it takes to, for an electron to jump up an orbit. So that is an advancement. Uh, but, great, you know, we've also, yeah. We, we've we misused all sorts of like for example we have completely changed the definition of decimate right to decimate originally meant to kill one-tenth of right now we mean to leave one-tenth alive we, we've totally reversed the definition of that wow we really got off track that was uh that um, was a
1: train wreck wow <laughs>
0: that's all right that's that's what people listened and Believe it or not, that is why people listen to the show. <laughs> they, I hear that in all the feedback is, you know, I love the fact that you guys are uh, have such a great uh, camaraderie and all that sort of stuff. And oh, by the way, you talk about Linux once in a while. Um, uh, I thought they listened purely say, for the Linux. So yeah, silly me. That's what it is. Uh, I do want to <laughs> say that uh, I just finished season four of Star Trek: The Next Generation. I've been plowing through them um, on my home theater system. Uh, system and that's you know that's no surprise i'm a geek i grew up with them i've seen them all many times uh you know 1987 when that show came out uh, i was sitting in front of my television every i think it was thursday night maybe friday night um when it came on and that was before you could record stuff Mm -hmm. where you could vcrs were out but they were way too expensive and they were the size of a small boat uh right um so now i have the whole seven season box set and, you know, again, I'm a geek, that's not surprising. But the cool thing is, my daughters have all gotten totally hooked on it. <laughs> and so, yesterday, I pop on an episode and the whole family sat down and watched uh, almost all of season four just yesterday. Oh, wow. And it was just, it was just constantly running. And they, they were no slouches there. They did 20, 22 episodes of. Uh, a, a whack. A yeah. Season. That was so, back when a season meant something, Dad Gummick. <laughs> And so we watched, uh, like 14 episodes yesterday. Just, you know, they're 40 minute episodes. They, they're an hour on TV, but they're 40 to 44, uh, when you take out all the commercials. Right. And so it just, it was just running all day. People were in and out of the room. You know, people weren't glued to it, but that's what we did yesterday. I just felt, you know, it was a geek parenting moment. It was a, it was a parenting win for me.
1: <laughs> right. I have to do something similar with my son. He, uh, he doesn't understand the benefit of Star Trek versus Star Wars. So, um, we're going to sit down and do something similar. Um, we went through and we watched a couple of the the reboots for Star Trek, and then we're gonna go back and watch the the good stuff after the fact. So I have to find two,
0: four, six, and ten. Yeah, eight really wasn't. Yeah, no, eight was the really good one. It was ten that sucked. Uh-huh. That's the the odd the the, the, the the odd ones were bad, and the even ones were good up until Insurrection. Yeah, no, it was Insurrection or the. Nemesis Star Trek Nemesis was terrible and it broke the broke the the chain of all the uh, even number ones being good.
1: <laughs> well, Eight yeah.
0: Undiscovered Country was that or was that 6? I, I thought don't remember. maybe maybe Undiscovered Country was 6, but I think that was the best one of them, the the Borg one.
1: Yeah. Well, I will be we'll be watching no, all, the, all of the movies four. and all of the season episodes no. too, so
0: Undiscovered No, uh, Voyage Home was 4. Oh. Undiscovered Country was the Klingon one. And then, um, first contact
2: was okay. The one. Yeah,
0: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're geeks. <laughs> it's I was, horrible. I go more by—I awesome, don't man. remember all the titles. I remember the numbers. Um, and if you're watching live, I want to want to uh, say first. I'm sorry uh, that you're subjecting yourself to this, but I, I just upgraded my webcam in my studio to a, a new 1080p high def guy, um, which I, I got in uh, to my studio a little early to to plug it in, set it all up, and then once it came on and everything was in pristine high def, I realized how crappy my surroundings look. So I started rapidly covering things with moving blankets just so there was at least a field of blue behind me, (laughs) and now my lighting looks all weird. I'm all blown out, and now when I look down at the screen, I'm no longer looking at the camera on my laptop, so I'm looking away from you all the time. So... Now because of this stupid webcam I'm going to have to totally rearrange everything. I've got to put a monitor on the wall behind me so that I can not look down. I'm going to have to fix my lighting, I'm going to fix my background all because you people complained that the video was so bad on the the hangouts. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's all right. <laughs> you wanted to do it anyway. You know you did.
0: Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that uh, I one of the nice things about it being all blown out is that the giant moles on my face are, are not as visible. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, one of the things that uh, that was one of our stretch goals uh, on the Patreon, com slash Patreon, um, was if we hit a certain amount, all three of us would get a full HD studio upgrade. And then we would start putting real effort into the video shows. Right now, the video is just an add-on. It's there. A couple of people watch it a month, mm-hmm. uh, a week, and it's you know it's not a big deal. Uh, but it is something I would like to do. I would like to do full-on video episodes in a feed with, you know, chirons and, and graphics and all that good sort of stuff. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, there's got to be money to make that happen. And I hate to beg for money, but if you want it,
1: you got to pay for it. There you go. It's not all going to come but out I, of our I, pockets. Yeah,
0: well, there's it's just not there to come out of our pockets. <laughs> exactly.
1: <That's
0: low. laughs> uh, I did want to update. Uh, I made a call a couple of episodes ago for a proxy. Uh, because I wasn't, wasn't able to reach my own servers and a couple of you guys, three or four actually stepped up and said, here you go, uh, you know, or let me know. And I'll send you uh, credentials. I had had a few of those. Strangely enough, I called him out on the air and the problem went away. I'm not willing to say that's entirely the power of the element OP army that made that happen, but it was a definite coincidence between the two. Uh, (laughs) That episode came out on a Wednesday, Wednesday night, the problem went away.
1: So, <laughs> huh? I'll go figure on that Element
0: one. Element Opie rules the world. Don't mess <laughs>
2: with
1: us. One step at a time to world domination. I tell you, we'll be there someday.
0: All right, Seth. So you say the whole freaking internet is broken. Uh, I don't disagree with you, but would you like to expound on that? Man, I was, uh, I was getting
2: ready last Sunday for the show and we've been, we, you know, we survived snowpocalypse again too. We've been dealing with the great Texas monsoon of the last week. And so it was raining pretty much forever, it seems like, but Sunday. I was doing show prep on my little tablet and I thought, okay, why don't work on this tablet when I have a laptop? So I pulled out my laptop and all of a sudden I couldn't connect anything. So I went, crappy laptop, let me pull out my tablet. Pull out my tablet, nothing. So I was like, great, I'll just go up to the church because everybody, if you're new to the show, this is not my wall you see behind me. I broadcast from my church for the awesome 5K or 5 megs that I get here. But it turns out that the internet connection to my house died Sunday and hopefully somebody will come out Monday to look at it. So I have not had any internet at home for the whole week. And occasionally, you know, my phone will go from no service to three bars without <laughs> moving. So, I mean, I don't get email. It's awesome. I, I do nothing at home. Now uh, my online world consists of watching dish network so
0: um, i don't know what i would do with no internet for a week i'm not exaggerating i don't know how i would handle that
2: you know i I was working outside in the rain because it was more exciting than watching tv (laughs) it was raining outside and i'm out there doing some yard work just so I have something to do. I was freaking bored out of my mind. Um <laughs> I think this week I'm going to buy another 100 or 200 books uh so I'll have something to do if this ever happens again. But yeah, no internet since last
1: Sunday at my house. Wow. It's, I it's think pathetic. my kids would probably go into comas or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, my kids hate it when we drive out of range of the Wi-Fi on their tablets and they're like, "Ah, I can't get the internet. Can you turn on the hotspot on your phone?" No. I'm not going to spend a billion dollars a gigabyte just so that you can play Candy Crush or, or watch
1: YouTube. Um, like my yeah, my, my kids are huge in in the YouTube um and they just my daughter wants to set up a channel. That's how how into the YouTube she is. It's like, "No, you're 6. You are not setting up a YouTube channel." <laughs>
0: And, uh, Chris, you, you may be giving a distro re- review for the Corora project soon, it looks
1: like. Uh, yes. Um, I've actually moved both of my virtual machine and my laptop to the new version of Corora. And I know it's still Fedora driven, but it's not Fedora. So, I'm, so what's the difference? Um, Fedora is to Debian as Mint is to Ubuntu or no. That was horrible. Okay, you know what I mean, though. As Mint is to Debian, yes, as Mint is to Debian, Corora is to Fedora. So it has all of the built-in media codecs. Um, they do some generic tweaking to the UI. Uh, I have the virtual machine that I do my other stuff in. That I, you know, like my banking and everything. Um, that's running GNOME, and then my laptop is running KDE or XFCD. Um, Xfce, not D. Um, but just to see what the difference is between them all. Um, so far, I'm impressed. Um, it, it, you know, the the quick, the quick and dirty is compared to running Fedora. It, the up, the the zero to start is sh- a lot shorter. Uh, okay. I don't know. So
0: it's so by making that comparison between Mint and Debian, what you're saying is that it is it's the base. Of Fedora, because Fedora already has a lot of stuff in it. it's not right um, you know it's not bare, uh, but it has the the drivers and the prettiness mm-hmm. and uh, flash and that sort of stuff built yep. in as well.
1: yeah, so far, I haven't run into anything major that I haven't been able to do out of the box. Um, I even tried to do a DVD encode code with uh, handbrake and out of the box, no problems, so hmm. that's a step better. Than what Fedora is when it comes to usability. Um, I didn't have to go finding any of the, uh, I didn't have to go dig out my document for doing the, um, like MP3 codecs and stuff like that. They, they just, just worked out of the box. So, um, I know before I kind of poo pooed on Corora. I didn't think it was ready for prime time, but maybe I'll change my mind. We'll see. All right.
0: And uh, Seth has a, a, a goat update. So, uh, Seth, how, how's the world uh, of goats? Since you didn't have internet, you had to focus on that.
2: Yeah, no, I actually, um, I sold some goats. Uh, a friend of mine uh, contacted me. He's looking to, uh, you know, my goats, uh, they're nicknamed Tax Deduction 1 through 14. Uh, <laughs> basically, that's their names. Uh, except for the male, we call him Billy. Um, and we really do. Uh, but, uh, he's looking to get some goats on his place so he doesn't have to mow it much. He's going to fence off some of it. And he was like, Hey, you want to sell some goats? And I went, I would love to sell some goats. So, uh, he came over and looked and saw, then he, he brought his truck and trailer over and he got stuck and so I had to use a come along to like pull him out of the mud and he got stuck again. So my cousin came with a tractor and pulled him out, then went back and pulled out the trailer. So yeah, I sold three goats. I'm a happy camper.
0: What, what does a goat go for? Yeah.
2: You know, like I say, my goats, uh, they make all our money in saving us property taxes. So anything we sell them for, I said, how about a hundred dollars for three goats? And he said, no, here's 120. So I said, thank you. So.
0: Right, huh. So 60 bucks a goat.
2: Well, $40 is what I ended up selling them for. Oh, 40. Yeah, 100. Yeah.
0: I can't do math. I can't
1: math. <laughs> you said there'd be no math. What the heck? Come on now.
0: <laughs> um a quick update on the EDL app that I've mentioned before. Um we we've had a small group of beta testers uh, pounding on it. I I want a larger group of delta testers <laughs> we're still it's still not ready uh functionally it seems to be there uh the most of the force closes and all that stuff are going have gone away uh the the design is still uh in the rough stages but uh what i'm going to do is with this show i'm going to put the notes up on, on elementopie.com and i'm going to put a link to the apk out there so you uh bold android users who uh, have the ability to add uh, uh sideload apps uh, not in the store Uh please give it a try the idea in case you don't remember uh it there's podcast apps everywhere right the thing that was special about this this was sort of my uh, dream app uh and in time we hope to be able to uh, we meaning i'm gonna make the kaiser <laughs> <laughs> add this feature and i want to open it up to uh uh multiple feeds so it will become your pod catcher and hopefully we can sell it and kaiser can make some money off of it but right now it just automatically grabs the edl feed but what's special about it it's it's a player and and all that sort of stuff but what's special about it is that you can inline while you're listening to a show add a comment Hmm. and that comment is time coded so that as anybody else is listening to the show at that same time they can see all the comments made at that time so you can jump you can jump both ways you can jump to a time code by a comment so you can scan the comments and click on it and it'll take you to to the part of the show where that comment was made or while you're playing along uh you can look and see that there were comments made at that time and i i'm, I'm pretty sure the notification um like as you're playing along hey there was a comment made here isn't isn't working yet so it's still it's still in early days but we need some people uh not only pounding on it but using it. We wanna we want the community. So the idea is that this is the way for you to feed back to each other and have conversations around the podcast while you're listening to it. So it's an asynchronous conversation synchronized with the podcast. Interesting. So that the conversation can go on for months or even years um as people as new people pick up the, the podcast, see the comments, add to them. Um and I, I I it's exciting to me, it's the it's the app I've always wanted. And, uh, I, I mentioned it on the show a couple of times and, uh, Kaiser, uh, popped up and said, Hey, I'd like to take a stab at this. And so he, we've been through several iterations just between him and me. And then we, uh, I think there are like four beta users using it right now, not a b- bunch, but we want more people pounding on it. So, um, uh, I'm going to put it out there and I encourage you. To please download this app and not just have it, not just look at it and go, well, it works or it doesn't work or it looks like crap. I want you to use it. I want to, I want these conversations because we need to see how how the database scales and, and all this sort of stuff. So we need to, you know, there are thousands of you, not just dozens. There are thousands of you who listen to the show. I would love to see a large percentage of you using this app and commenting on it. And, you know, those times when you're yelling at me and pounding on your your dashboard as you drive, pull over and type those comments in. That'll be so cool, um, and of course it'll degenerate into flame wars. And the Nazis will be mentioned at least once per episode, <laughs> but you know that's okay. Um, so <laughs> right now, uh, I'm hoping you guys will use it. So pop up podcast, in- woohoo! <laughs>
1: yes. So just to to put something in my mind here, so is it just going to be mobile driven? Are you going to have a web client that would then be able to see the same comments if you're like on a terrestrial, you know, a regular desktop?
0: Um. Uh, Right now, my my think my focus is on the phone. Okay. Um, I, an HTML five version of it um would work on all clients. So uh, I'm sure that's uh, something that could happen in the future. That would be great. But I don't think just based on the interaction that I've gotten uh, from the audience, most of our people don't listen to the show at a computer.
1: Right. Well, no. Um, I, my thought was is that say you're driving or doing whatever, you don't have time to pull over. But you'd be able to then say pull up the the app on your PC at work or you know an HTML five web page and then add your comments in at that timestamp. Yeah. So um, j- just a thought. So th-
0: so that would be an interest. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you want to be able to bookmark it just for you to go back and be able to comment on it later. That
1: would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Because like if you can't comment right now, like you know you're sitting in the your car, you're you know a voice command saying bookmark that. So then, you could go back to your app and come out. Oh, voice command?
0: Now you're getting all kinds well, of. Well, you know,
1: like well, since you uh, uh, since you uh, so graciously told me about Agent, and I've been using that pretty heavily. Uh, my my isn't it great? Yeah, oh, I love it. Um, but the voice commands in the car are very handy. So when a text comes in, I'm able to reply right away and have it read to me, et cetera, et cetera. So it'd be really cool if I'd be able to could say, you know, EDL bookmark. And then it, you know, it doesn't have to be a very big command. Just something quick that you can then come back and look at the app again and find all those spots where I said bookmark, so that I could either write my comp, a full form comment or revisit those particular spots.
0: I don't know. I think if you took the time to think about it, it would take the fun out of it. The idea is to get your original, initial, irate comments right down. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not
1: saying there's anything. But if you wrong could leverage
0: it. the Google Text to Speak uh, thing. Um, and since I'm dealing with somebody else's programming time, sure, uh, I'll say we'll throw that in there.
1: But it's, it's <laughs> uh, an idea. Again,
0: and I, I do, I hope to, I hope that Kaiser can make some money off of this. I want this to become, you know, uh, right up there with, with, uh, Dogcatcher and Beyond Pod and, and, and G Potter and G Potter. Wow. I went way back for that one. Um, Pocket and, Cast. And, you know, and these things, uh, Pocket Cast. I, I want it to be in the store as a choose your own, uh, uh, feed and build communities around ev- other people's podcasts as well. That's, that's my dream for it. And, you know, and, and ch- I hope he'll charge five or six bucks for it because once it's finished, it'll be worth that. It'll be worth way more than that. In fact, uh, you know, a, a great money making thing would be for him to, uh, create branded versions, um, oh, for-, for his, for each audience. So like we could have an EDL app branded for us. I would pay him for that privilege, but that people would also be able to put their own feeds into it. So it becomes an all-encompassing app, but branded by me. There you and go. Would,
1: or, I think that would be a cool way to go. And then he'd be also able to monetize it towards other podcasts. You know, let's say Hack5 wants to use his program. They could pay him for licensing and he could then issue a Hack5 one or a Leo Laporte version or whatever. It'd be cool. So I'm excited. Again, this is this is something
0: I dreamed up I don't know, six seven years ago, uh, and I've lamented the fact that it doesn't exist. And, and I did I've done it on the show like three or four times. Yeah. But one of those times, the right guy heard me at the right time in his life, and so I'm super pumped about it. But again, I'll be I'll be putting the link to the APK right now. It's been email me and I'll send it to you. Um, I think it's safe enough and ready enough that I'm ready to go ahead and endorse it by putting it on on my site with a link to it. Um and cool. and get some more people using it.
1: Very cool. I'll I'll, I'll be Sweet. glad to take a look at it when I get a chance.
0: All right, moving right along. Um, but, uh, loot crate is awesome. I, I, what? Tell me about loot crate, Chris.
1: <laughs> loot crate is um, well. My wife, my love of my life. She uh, she knows I'm a geek and I'm a gamer and I'm you know. Don't I? I have no problem flashing those two cards out and saying yes, I'm a geek. Uh, Loot Crate is for someone like me or somebody else who likes video games and geeky stuff. So for um, the the default subscription is fourteen dollars a month plus shipping, so it's about twenty dollars a month. You get a box of miscellaneous gear. Um, so last week or last month was my first month of getting this, and I ended up getting um, a bunch of little. Like, I got the, a book for um, Ready Player One, uh, some old-school comic, or let's see, this is a an old-school poster of Pac-Man. And then, you know, it was all based on old-school games or tabletop games. Um, like, you know how many times have you ever done rock, paper, scissors? I got dice that say rock, paper, scissors on them. <laughs> so, it's just little, you know, little... Gimmicky stuff that, you know, it's, it's something that you'd probably go, if you were in Spencer's, you'd probably find it and buy it, or it just shows up in your, on your mailbox. And the other thing that's really cool is there is a random mega crate that gets sent out, and it's like $2,000 of, of value, and somebody randomly gets it out of the, the pool of people. So, um, I've never met anybody who's got the mega crate, but the next one is worth like almost what is it, $2,000, um, because they just throw a bunch of really high-end gear in them. I think they had a, a 3D printer in one of them, w- in one of the months. So it's kind of a cool thing if you like, you know, little figurines of Batman or Sonic or some other different game. I mean, they, they have a whole bunch of them. And then they have on their website, you can go back and see what they've shipped out before. So it's just a cool little site. It's definitely fun. Um, this month's theme is covert, so like spy stuff. So I'm kind of interested to see what actually comes out in the uh, Loot Crate this month.
0: It doesn't, doesn't sound like something that would appeal to me, but uh, you know, people who like this thing will find this the sort of thing they oh, like.
1: Oh, yeah, it, and there's lots of them that do this. There's a couple other different places that do um, similar to Loot Crate. Uh, I really like Loot Crate so far. Uh, my little brother's been getting it for a year now and he says he'll never turn his, he'll, he'll pay his subscription every year. Um, because he likes all the little doodads he gets. He's got a wall of the little posters. Evidently he's been getting, he hasn't got one every month, but every one he's got is the same cut, the same shape. So he's able to just plaster them on his wall and yeah, it's kind of fun.
0: So you don't get to pick what they get;
1: they just send you stuff. Yep, it's just a random, it's a random grab bag of who knows what it's going to be. So it's kind of it's kind of entertaining because you never know what you're going to get. Um, if I would have, if we would have got an order in earlier, like I got mine for the February month, which was the um, video game or board game type idea. The month before was retro themed, so it had like um, the Voltron T-shirt and some. Retro type I love stuff. Voltron. Yeah. But they also had a space invaders tie. So cool. it, it was like, oh, I wish I would have had it. I
0: would totally wear that to work.
1: I would too. Right. It's, and it's, it's, yeah. So it's, it's just a random stuff of comics, video games and geeky stuff. So if you're, a- so you
0: remember the original Voltron that was not five lions, but like a hundred cars in space. No, that
2: am was I, the second I the one. one remembers it? No, was it the Five Lions was sure the, the f- f- first, and then there was like twenty five cars. Yep. was the second one.
1: I remember the I, Five
0: Lions. I may have to. I have to go. May have to go to the internet on that one. I, I was pretty sure that the cars came first, and then the lions huh, came. I don't think so. The cars was short lived. Well, I don't maybe. think that
2: was called Voltron. I think it was called something else.
0: Well, that you may be thinking of like the GoBots, which came before the Transformers. No, no, there was not definitely GoBots. Okay. Anyway. I I definitely remember a Voltron that was cars in space. Space cars. They uh-huh. weren't on the ground, which was weird. They like weren't on a planet, they were in space. Why do you need a car with wheels in space? But they did. Um Yeah, and again this may this whole thing may have just been a fever
1: dream. It may be a fever dream because I the original <laughs> Voltrons I remember were five lions and they were really some of them were really badly um Trans- translated over, oh, it was
0: freaking awesome. <laughs> it was free. It was the the Star Blazers and yep. uh, Force. Yep, and um,
1: I watched them every morning when I was getting ready for school.
0: Voltron. What? There was a whole bunch of that. Uh, you know, I guess manga is what you would call it now. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, uh, anime type stuff. That that's the stuff we grew up on. Uh, you know, we forty somethings. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so just a, a little bit of uh, feedback from last week. Uh, Jeb Bush apparently listens to the show and had some comments on net neutrality. Uh, actually, he's running for president unofficially. He hasn't said it yet, uh, but I, I have a feeling he'll be there. Um, and he had a quote uh, that this actually something that I said. He's been listening to the show. So the idea of regulating access to uh, accessing the Internet with a 1934 law is one of the craziest ideas I've ever heard. Um, it's interesting that the the white, the right wing the conservative wing wasn't really concerned about net neutrality at first, uh, and particularly about the whole Title II thing, until you know once the president came out and said we think this is the way it's going to be. Suddenly they jumped to the um opposite stance on it. Because prior to that, some people had talked about regulating the Internet. Some some of these same people that I've heard as, as maybe not a bad idea or something to at least consider. And now they're all staunchly opposed to it. Well, you know, is- because they had to get the money from their lobbyists telling them to be opposed to it. <laughs>
2: um, you know, if I were going to make an editorial comment, that might be something like what I would say. And, you know, my thing is, if you think that um if he thinks then... If Congress could come up with some good legislation that gave net neutrality, but not keeping the name, but the substance being different. So if they could figure out some way to guarantee net neutrality without sticking it in title to, I would be all for that. But of the crappy options that we have, that one's the least crappiest. So it's the least crappy. And Jeb
0: Bush is, in case you don't know, is the governor of Florida, or at least he was. I think
2: he still is. Oh, former. Um, he is former governor. Former. Okay.
0: Yeah. So he's not a congressman. He's not a lawmaker. Um. So he literally has no power to do anything about this except to complain about it. The people who have the power to do it are Congress. They could write a legislation that regulates the internet in a sensible fashion, but they've chosen not to do that, and they've fallen back on a eighty, ninety uh, year old law.
1: Yeah. Well. Eighty year old law. Maybe it'll change. I'm hoping soon.
0: But, yeah, you know, like the, the whole point of the show last week was, um, I think there are problems brewing, but so far there's been nothing to complain about. So it, politics around the world being reactionary, we're going to have to wait till something breaks in a huge way before we get anything new. Right. Because first it has to break. Then you have to blame somebody. Then you have to profit from the blame and, and get your political capital out of the fact that it's broken. Then you fix it, thus doubling your political capital because you've blamed the person for breaking it and, and you've, uh, fixed it. So these, these right wingers and, and I am one myself. So I'm criticizing my own here. These right wingers who are now criticizing, uh, the regulation of it are expecting bad things down the road, just as I am. Um and so they want to go ahead and get on record now as having said this was a bad idea. Hmm, pretty much. Welcome to politics. Pretty much. Um quantum computing. Um it has existed for a while but not in a useful state. Maybe that's changing? Yes.
2: Um I has after I p- compiled the list of stories that I liked I re- and I realized wow, I might just I I must work for Google or something because most of these stories have something to do with Google. And it, it, it just, you know, there's been other weeks where everything came from Yahoo. So it, that's just kind of how it worked here. Um, but um, this week, uh, in a breakthrough, researchers from UCSB and Google they have figured out uh, how to stabilize an array of nine qubits, which is, you know, in binary you know, you can have a one or a zero and, but the qubits can be like four or five different things at once. And, um, it was really cool. Um, so one of the things they did, they found out is as the arrays get bigger, they become more stable. And, um, while they don't necessarily stop the errors from happening, it prevents those errors from messing up later calculations. And one of the physicists involved, Scott Aronson, pointed out in his blog that his experiment can be considered as completing 3.5 of the seven steps needed to build a working quantum computer. So, in other words, we're halfway there. Um, And uh, one thing that he pointed out, the errors that the nine qubit array can protect against are only the kind of errors that show up in regular computing. Protecting against errors that would show up in quantum computers will require more complicated programming. So, it's like we're figuring out some of the problems that have kept us from getting the quantum computing. But at the same time, we're realizing that once we get there, there might be other program, uh, other pro, other problems that will need to be addressed. So, uh, quantum computing, while still not here, appears to be closer than before.
0: And I'm not even going to try to give a layman's interpretation of what quantum computing is because <laughs> I'm not qualified, but essentially, it's looking at subatomic particles and using their state as your ones and zeros that's that's the kindergarten version of it so everything in the computer world is one or zero and you look at this state and it's based on its spin or any number of factors and so you actually you, you're not you're not stringing together atoms you're stringing together pieces of atoms interesting when he's talking about 9 qubits those those aren't those are all assume presumably within a single atom Yeah. And one of the,
2: the thing that makes quantum computing able to do so much so fast is apparently instead of being either like on or off or positive or negative, like a, like a uh, transistor or even an electron, it can be in multiple states at once. So it doesn't hold two possible data points. It holds like, I think it's like eight or nine per Hmm. qubit. So when you, when you put those together, it, Adds up really fast. So, um, but yeah, I, I understand enough to go. That's freaking awesome. I don't know how they do it. I would, you know, um, anyway. I, I
0: think you, I, I, there was a famous scientist, I forget who it was, who said something to the effect of, if you're not confused by quantum mechanics, you don't understand it well enough. Don't.
1: Oh. Um, well I'm confused. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, right
0: at that oh. level of size, the, the rules that we can see in our macro world, Fall apart. Right. Um, and, you know, like the, the things that we consider strong forces are weak forces. And the things that we consider weak forces are strong forces. And everything spins on its ear. And, like, one of the basic principles is that things can be both on and off. And it's looking at it that decides whether it is on or off. Hmm. So you can get whatever answer you want by looking at it at the right time. Um again, super simplification because I am not qualified to have this discussion at all. Yeah, you've got to
2: be very smart to realize how stupid you are in this field so you can try to
0: get (laughs)
1: smart. (laughs)
2: And while I'm I'm probably not the dumbest guy in the room unless it's a Mensa convention, I would not I wouldn't even you know, once I heard quantum and, you know, physics, I like I'm out. I'm tapping.
1: I would have tapped the second you said, "Let's go down quantum physics or the quantum computer road." I've been like, "Nope, none." <laughs> It's—I know it's going to be course, cool.
0: Every time we talk about science, I get feedback from some punk kid who's had high school physical science telling me I'm not doing it right. So I—I uh, I won't go any further. But uh, it is pretty fascinating how, as you scale up and down, all the rules change. Right. So on the, on the micro scale of quanta, the, the rules that we know in the, in the, it's not, it's not even macro in the grand, in the, the normal scale of humanity, uh, don't apply. And then when you go up to the macro scale of, of galaxies, um, and then those things, the, the, those rules don't apply. It, it, everything gets flipped around depending on how you're looking at
1: it. Yeah. Interesting.
0: It'll be, and, uh, you know, it'll be cool. When while it happens. We're, the neat thing about quantum computing is that we'll be able to screw things up faster than ever before. Nice. Uh, I like that. And we, we already are pretty good at that. Now we're actually, uh, moving, uh, hardware, uh, flaws right into, to hardware. We don't need software. Anymore.
2: Yes. Um, this is another story thing. We can thank Google's team of expert hackers at Project Zero. They have uncovered a serious security problem lurking in modern DRAM devices. Um, so, and it's kind of like the hardware, you know, industry goes, Oh yeah, but that's reliability stuff. We know about it. Um, but people want cheap RAM. So the researchers found that it has DRAM cells have shrank or shrunk it has become harder to isolate memory in one address from corrupting data stored in another and so they demonstrated and this gets really technical but there's a really cool word that i learned reading this article um toggling of a DRAM's row word line, this is known as row hammering. So if you want to row hammer something, go for it. Um, it stresses intercell coupling effects that, anyway, basically what happens is if you change the data in this portion of memory, it can affect the memory in an application next to it. And so you can, in this one application, you know, maybe you're sandboxed or whatever, the software doesn't matter, but you change the memory in another application and you kind of get control over it. So, um, you know, they didn't test a ton of devices. They, um, they tested 29 different and these are like Intel X 86 model laptops built between 2010 and 2014 and they could flip bits in like half of them. So, um, and, but one thing to note is that all these machines tested were DDR three RAM, which is currently out there, but, um, the DDR four, however, it seems to contain some row hammer mitigations. And so maybe this issue has been addressed already. Um, but yeah, so row hammering—that's the important takeaway from here. It's uh, you can you can change the software's memory to affect memory that you can take every software precaution possible, but this is a hardware vulnerability that will bypass anything. So
1: interesting,
0: and and one in which you have to have uh. Dedicated access, not necessarily physical access, but you've got to be able to hammer on the, literally hammer the row of, of memory uh, for a long time in a very specific way. Uh, this is the ultimate, you know, spear fishing. I know that this guy on this laptop is some has something I want, and I'm going to just go to town on it and and burn up his CPU uh, in the process of it. But it's certainly something that, say, a, a large government entity with three letters as the, uh, initials, uh, could, could and would use and probably are using. Uh, so it's not really something that you or I are going to have to worry. That's my, my editorial. I don't think you or I have anything to worry about here because it just requires too much resources for average script kitty to deal with this one. This is, this is international level espionage tool. Uh, but it is something that is baked into an existing set of RAM. Uh, that somebody just decided to look for, and so as Seth said it's it's not the current latest RAM, and it's fading away. But what's in the newest one?
1: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, go figure that, so we can figure that out just by hammering the row.
0: And it's it's a it's a a manufacturing defect, not a a, a specification defect. Right. Well, if- and it's because. I was Go gonna say, ahead, is it a
2: defect or is it a byproduct of manufacturing? So mm. you can't really say if it's a defect because what they're doing is they're trying to make it smaller. So it's not right. necessarily a defect. they didn't you know this this row there was the the alignment didn't get off and put it too close. It's just the byproduct of making this stuff smaller and having an eighteen terabyte sim chip the size of your fingernail toe jam right. you know and it's,
0: using it's, the cheapest supplies built by the lowest bidder right, right. Uh, to to create it
1: yep it's interesting, so
0: it's we we have brought this on ourselves,
1: oh yes. We want it faster and smaller.
2: It's, I want uh, a fifty-pound portable backpack with a seventeen-inch mono
0: screen that I. Have to, <laughs> <laughs> that I'll be
2: safe from everybody.
0: Do you have one of those? I think I remember you—you you having one of those from your dad. Yeah, I,
2: I the suitcase, the yeah. eighty-eighty-eight. It—it's not like forty pounds, so it's just like I don't know, ten or fifteen. So <laughs> that's. Yeah, uh, and it only has a little 15. five-inch green screen, yeah. and the bottom is the keyboard. Yep.
0: 8088 processor that's prior to the the single 8086 and then the 286 386 486 so you're nine or ten generations out on that one yep um and it had some some amount of k of ram in it yep Um, you brought that over to my house and i was like this is the most amazing thing ever (laughs) um and and well I'm going to stop there uh moving <laughs> right along s- surprise newsflash uh Linux geeks fight with each other what? now they're doing it in code like in the code
2: well, and actually what they've done is um the Linux foundation is kind of um put out kind of like some conflicts, re- conflict resolution. Um, so the new code, it was made as a Linux patch and it says, if however, anyone feels personally abused, threatened, or otherwise uncomfortable due to this process, that is not acceptable. If so, please contact the Linux foundations, technical advisory board or the individual members and they will reserve. Re- they will work to resolve the issue um, to the best of their ability. Um, and then the, Foundation's executive director added, we believe the guidelines are grounded, and then blah, blah, blah. So the patch was written, and it was uh, signed off on by 60 developers and accepted into the kernel by Linus himself. So, you know, he has a reputation, has, uh, you know, not not the nicest guy to get along with, but he understood, and he accepted it into the Linux kernel. So there is officially conflict resolution um, put in the, uh, Linux kernel now. So hopefully we can all get along and, you know, keep milking this cow for all the golden eggs it'll lay.
0: You know, basically, it says, if you don't like it, talk to the board. Yeah. Basically. Um, and that's the, it's a, it's weird. It's a conflict resolution policy patched into the, into the code of conduct, conduct, which is written into the source code. Of the kernel, if I'm reading this right. Yes. So it is, it is both code and uh, directive and uh, license all in one thing. So it's, it's not
2: only software code, but it's also a code of conduct. So, yeah. I, I mean, you know, that's kind of cool that they did it that way. And so that way, you know, everybody in the Linux kernel development community, they have access to the patch and they they can see it. And, you know, I'm sure it's probably just nothing but, you know, remark statements. So it doesn't really do anything other than just sit there and say, hey, can't we all just get along?
1: Hmm.
0: Weakest transition ever. Uh, speaking of Linux, our friends over at the Linux Academy can teach you how to use Linux how to make money with Linux, how to know what you're doing, and how to get along. Maybe they have a course on getting along with other geeks. They can teach uh, you how to go into the kernel and find that code. <laughs> <laughs> if not, guys, get to work on a conflict resolution module in uh, in Linux Academy because, for, let's face it, every geek needs a little conflict resolution uh, experience. Uh, we're, we're not known as the most personable group. Of people in the world. Uh, But if you'd like to learn other stuff, like, for example, uh, the history of Linux or how to use um, uh, Amazon web services or uh, any number of different subjects, our friends over at linuxacademy.com can help you out. Their their stated goal is to take you from being a Linux noob who knows stuff about computers but is nowhere near an expert to a certified, certifiable um, Mm -hmm. Linux professional so they will guide you through not only the education process but actually the certification process and you can you can sign up for industry standard certifications right from their website because they have been deemed high quality content by those people and they've partnered with the LPI and IT. I, e, I, LPIC. I e, T, LPIC there's another one the EIT hmm. ABCDFQ uh anyway <laughs> um They they have uh they have partnered with these people because their content is good. What is that content? Well, it starts with videos, step by step video courses designed to take you uh again from being a a, a neophyte, a beginner to an expert. Uh, but it's, it's so much more than just video courses. Each, each course has with it a companion PDF guide that's time coded to what's going on in the video so that you can watch and then you can read and you can go back and watch a little more. And then you can go back and read a little more. Uh, and then when you're done, there's going to be some practice quizzes. Not every course has a quiz with it, but there are quizzes all along. Not every video has a quiz with it, but the, every course has a s- series of quizzes that go along with it so that you can test your knowledge and make sure you understand what you're doing. But if you're a hands-on kind of guy, as I am, or girl. There may be a girl listening. Um, They also have this amazing uh, lab infrastructure out there as well. Uh, A virtual lab system living on Amazon's um, cloud, so it's super fast and highly reliable, and you're going to be able to get to it from anywhere anywhere um, you can run up to eight different versions of Linux, different software distributions. So you can, they're not just locked into, to Ubuntu or Arch or, or whatever. You, you get to play with different ones and get experience with all of them. And you can run up to four of them at a time interacting with each other and interacting with your local client so that you can actually build a server and a client and you can build two servers and have them talk to each other all in a safe environment in your own little virtual network so that if you, you know, nuke something, um, it's not going to bring down Seth's internet connection, uh, there in Texas. <laughs> well, at least we hope. It's all safe. It's all high reliable and it's all really high quality. And, um, and of course, naturally, you're going to pay a ton for all of this. Um, because look, look, look what I just said, videos, PDFs, labs, uh, quizzes, uh, direct access to licensure authorities. Naturally, this is going to be expensive. Uh, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. Um, and in fact, they, they're really, they're really just, uh, raking you over the coals at a, at a grand total of $25 a month. No, that's the most you can pay. That's their highest price, $25 a month. So the cost of a pizza a month will get you a new career or a start on a new career. But if, uh, like anything else, the more you buy the, the cheaper things get. So if you buy three months or a quarter, uh, it's $65, um, which instead of the, $75, so there's $10 discount there, or if you want to buy a chunk um, uh, for a whole year, it's $215, which breaks that $25 a month down to just under $18 a month. So it's a pretty significant discount there if you want to buy for the year. What we recommend is buy it for a month, check it out, kick the tires, see if you like it, and you're going to, uh, and then buy either one of the quarter or annual subscriptions. And if you go to uh, linuxacademy.com slash Linux, you'll get a special discount on that as well.
1: Can't say it any better than that, Mark. Uh, I like the fact that they also tell you the the more go- the more command line way of doing things, uh, and the GUI way, so that way you get to be a little more well rounded.
2: Yeah, and you know they've added several courses, um, everything you need. So you know it's not like they built this great course content and just let it sit there to milk it for everything they can, they're adding stuff to it because, you know, stuff you learned two years ago might not be applicable in today's world. So they, this is your one-stop shop. You can go here and if something new is coming out, it's probably going to show up here. So good
0: stuff. All right. Now back to everyday Google. Uh, <laughs> Google wants to own all your data literally, on their servers. So uh, their new cloud storage is called Nearline.
2: Yes. Um, they announced this recently. Um, it will cost one cent per gigabyte per month for data that can be accessed in three seconds or less. Um, if that one cent per gigabyte per month sounds familiar, um, Amazon, they have a similar service. They've had it for a while called Glacier. But if you go to Amazon's website, Glacier can take several hours to retrieve stuff because, and you know, and so in Amazon's case, it's stuff that, you know, archive backups that are important, but not uh, at this moment important so google has said uh, we can do that but we can get it to you now so you can back up important stuff and be able i mean come on three seconds or less while technically not considered online or real time three seconds i mean if you're out where i live yeah, it's, you it's wish It's not
0: something you'd want to watch a video off of but to pull up a a, a tax document yeah so, absolutely so yeah or, and, and you know
2: or anything this for article matter. This article says that this is just another way where Google is pushing um, the industry towards race to zero. And um, that's a term you may or may not have heard, but it's the day when cloud storage uh, will essentially be free and the cloud providers will have to figure out somehow to make money by offering something on top of the storage. So, you know, Google is making it cheaper to store stuff, you know, I mean, a, a one penny per month for a gigabyte. So you could have a hundred gigs for twelve dollars a year. That's that's pretty cheap.
1: Yeah, that is really cheap. I wonder how good that would be like for if you wanted to use their that storage for like say hosting a podcast or something that doesn't have to be real time, but you just need to be able to download it.
0: That uh twelve dollars per year. That that's what you said? Twelve dollars per year? For a hundred gigs? For a hundred gigs? Is a fraction of what I'm paying Dropbox for the same amount. I have a hundred gig account, uh, uh, not a hundred gig account. No, I have. I don't even have that. So I have, I have less than that. Uh, so it, what somebody else is going to do, maybe Google will, maybe somebody else will, is start building wrappers around it that are Google, that are Dropbox like that sync things and um, and do those things and and you know Google is just going to be the engine that runs that. People may even build whole. Uh, services off of it and and eat the cost of their the google storage for their business Um, yeah but yeah i mean 12 dollars a year for 100 gigs that that is essentially free for all intents and purposes that counts as free well Well, and who knows maybe
2: they have a thing where if you buy so much you know that's just their intro price i don't know what it would be if you want to buy 100 would they give you a break i don't know but that's how do
0: you give a break off of a penny Yeah, I mean, what? Where do you go to next? You start cutting pennies in half? I don't know. You go? I I have no idea. Fraction of a bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's at that point you start measuring uh, terabytes instead of gigabytes. Like, if I wanted to order, you know, a hundred terabytes, would I get a special deal? I don't know. But what's a hundred ter? I mean, I'm really terrible at on the fly math like that. But that's like a thousand bucks a year. 100 terabytes mm-hmm. uh, uh well
2: no A uh, one terabyte would be a thousand dollars a month a hundred thousand yeah a month i think a so year. because a <laughs> hundred one terabyte <laughs> would be See, ten dollars
0: once, once the zeros start flying one okay, terabyte so would be ten dollars a month yeah okay so a thousand dollars a month for a hundred terabytes uh twelve thousand a year if you're building a data center we're building a service that needs a hundred terabytes. That's Twelve thousand here is is cheap. Yep. That's wow. So yeah, this is this
2: is darn cheap. I I don't know how they afford to do that. I mean, I know hard drives are cheap, but hard drives aren't free. Um, you know, so it that's just that's an amazing thing. I as I was reading this article, I was seriously thinking I need some Google Cloud storage, <laughs> but then I you know at don't my know what for. Yeah, I don't know my bandwidth. I couldn't really use it, but dadgummit, I'd have it. So
1: it'd be it'd be interesting uh, to see what what someone could actually make out of that. You know, if you're thinking about storage as basically free, you could do all sorts of things with it. Especially if it's not real time in, in need. There's lots. The of problem you with could use.
2: the problem with that is this next story we're about to talk about. Um, there was a, a time where people all over the world could not access Google services, um, because of a routing leak from an Indian broadband internet provider. And by Indian, we mean from the country of India. And a, just to refresh people's memory or maybe educate them a little bit, a routing leak occurs when a network provider broadcasts part of their internal routing tables to another company through something called the border gateway protocol and you know and I'm not saying ooh look at this haha ha, google went down but this is just to show people that sometimes you know the people who you know run the routers that make up the internet they need to really stay on top of what they're doing because it was a couple of years ago through the border gateway protocol, large sections of America were subject to the Chinese firewall policies right. because of incorrectly configured border gateway protocols. So, you know, here, if you have all of your data and Google storage and it's super cheap, but somebody misconfigures a router, you can't access your stuff because all of a sudden it's gone. Um, so, you know, this is just one of those stories that be careful about putting everything online right. because through no fault of your on, no fault of your ISP, you know, somebody else messed up something and the next thing you know you can't access. and let me tell you you don't want to be without the internet for a week because <laughs>
1: is,
2: i can speak to this one from personal experience it is not a fun time luckily you know i could stay late at work a little bit and just kind of you know youtube or whatever uh after work so it wasn't total loss i didn't kill myself or anything but um it's not fun so you know be careful um it, it's just you know I don't know. It's just one of those things to remind people that, hey, the Internet is awesome and it's great, but at the same token, it's not ready to be your source of life yet. Because Well,
0: we've talked about this before yeah. in different ways. The, the problem is the Internet was built on inherent trust. Right. Right. So with the Border Gateway protocol, as well as lots of other protocols, if if you get a packet from another router that says, hey, here's some new information, your router says, okay. Because mm-hmm. it's got no reason to verify it, and there's not only no reason, there's no mechanism built in to verify it. Um, a lot of the the fancy routing that happens, the fact that you can get, the fact that we can have this conversation over Skype and record it uh, on YouTube and and do all it happens because routing is happen happening autonomously. Right. Um. If if there were checks on that, if there were verifications on that, it would slow down or even break the process. So we have this free flowing uh, amoeba of data that relies on everybody trusting everybody else. So, so far, these two examples that we've talked about have been mistakes, but it could just as well be malicious. Uh, right. And these, these things take time to propagate out to the world and then take time to self-correct. So let's say somebody in, you know, uh, Iran decides they want to be malicious. They could do significant damage for a short period of time to the global internet infrastructure uh it would be correctable and they would be able to shut down the border they would be able to stop listening to the border gateway protocol from iran i'm picking on iran because they're not nice people uh in general <laughs> emails will begin yeah, yeah. Uh, flowing down any time I, I can see um, them coming but uh the the thing is that a bad actor can do a lot of damage for a short period of time right and it's just inherent by the way
2: we've built this thing well and another drawback is there could be nothing wrong with your network or your ISP. Everything could be functioned normally, but the rest of the world isn't seeing you based on whether it be an accident or a malicious. Everybody who tries to go to elementopcom slash Amazon for their shopping convenience, you know, all of a sudden ends up on new egg. And, uh, so right. Amazon's lost money and we're not getting the thing. And I, we're set up correctly. Amazon is set up correctly. AT&T got their stuff together for our site, and they're set up correctly. But something outside of our control that we don't even know about could prevent other people from being able to access our information. And again, this isn't the sky is falling. You know, I mean, I love to be the tenfold visor kind of guy. This is just to not acknowledge that that is a possibility and have some vague contingency plan in mind it's just kind of foolish you know it's it's sort of like well it, it's like a lot of stuff but i'll just right. i'm i was going to go into some analogies and the analogies would have taken even longer to explain so
0: so what, one of the ways to insulate yourself from this is to store all of your data locally on a new for example 10 terabyte hard drive
1: oofta Ten. that's big drive
0: yeah, and
2: this is the kind of drive that's gonna be designed for I mean it will fit in a regular drive bay. I have no idea how expensive this would be. Um but I just wanted six or
0: seven dollars at
2: least. At least, you know, I mean <laughs> what is the going rate? A penny per gig. So um but yeah, this is uh let me see, the name of the company, HGST um freaking ten terabyte hard drive. And they are expecting to ship Q2 of
0: 2015, so wow. sometime within the next four months. Um, if I remember correctly, HGST is one of those uh, white label people that they make hard drives for other people. So it may end up being a Hitachi or a Samsung or a, uh, an LG or something like that, right? Uh, made by these people.
2: Yeah, I um, let me see. I HG aren't they the HG3. ones that used to be IBM hard drive? Uh, Hitachi Global Storage Technology. Um, yeah, these are the ones that used to be IBM hard drive and then they were bought by Hitachi and now they're a wholly owned subsidiary of Western Digital. So, um, these are like, um, you know, it's sort of like when Dell bought Alienware and they kept the Alienware brand because Alienware is a freaking awesome, uh, Western Digital purchased this, but they kept this brand because this brand is freaking awesome. We did the, uh, backplane report. Uh, right, and and these were the drives that you know, for all practical purposes, never failed. Um, their failure rates were so much less than the other people. But yeah, freaking ten terabytes. And if, if
0: you're if you're putting ten terabytes on a three and a half inch disk, the error correction there has got to be off the wall. So yeah. I, I'm imagining there's a processor that just ten years ago would have been on a desktop. That's that's going in this hard drive to do the error correction at that uh, presuming assuming it's at any speed. So if it's at SATA three, you know, six gigabit per second speed, um, at that storage density, oh my gosh, um, it's probably got thirty terabytes crammed in there, and just error correcting like a madman the whole time.
2: Yeah, that's just. Uh, I nuts. wonder how long Spinrite would take to run on
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. Okay, moving right along. A uh, goodbye, Google code. Uh, Google oh. has a, a way of stepping in to fill gaps, and then when other people surpass them, they just take their dolly and go home, and that's what's happening with Google Code. Yes, they announced um, this week uh, when
2: we started the Google Code. Pro- Let me start over. When we started the Google Code project hosting service in 2006, the world of project hosting was limited we were worried about reliability and stagnation. So we took action by giving the open source community another option to choose from. And then, you know, as people migrated away, basically the projects that we remained were basically spam or abuse generators. And so they realized they looked at the projects that are there and go, um, you know, we're causing more harm than good to the greater internet. So as of March 12, 2015, uh, no more new projects are allowed. Um, and come August the 24th, 2015, it will be read only. So now if you have a project there today, you can still develop it and 2015. work on it. Yes. Did I say something else? You said
0: 2014. Oh. That's already passed. Okay. Yeah.
2: 2015. So you can still work on and develop projects that are there. Um, they have until August 2000, uh, August of this year. And then come January of next year, the project hosting service will be closed so between august and january people will be able to download and access what's there but they won't be able to modify what's there anymore and then come january support your stuff
0: out send it over to github start over from there yeah yeah because nobody uses
2: anymore they're for losers apparently
0: (laughs) and one of the one of the sites that that i wanted to Uh, lament about uh, that is currently on Google of code, but nobody's going to care because it's dead is webcam studio. Um, it was something that I was super excited about about three years ago. Um, it's a live video, um, compositing. It's essentially what Google Hangouts does only better, uh, for Linux. And there are other tools that do that on windows and Mac. Um, but what, what's frustrating to me is that there's nothing out there on Linux. So, you know, I talked about getting the new hard drive, uh, excuse me, new uh, webcam and, you know, looking toward putting some effort into, you know, this production thing. And the more I look into it, the more I realize I can't do this on Linux. I'm going to have to get a Windows or Mac machine in to do my Linux show because the tools that I want don't exist on linux Yeah, um, it's garbage there and, and i know i'm going to get emails saying well have you tried x that does one tenth of what you want to do have you tried y that compared with x can do 15 percent of what you want to do have you could have you tried z that compared with x and y can do about 35 percent of what you want to do why why should i have to do this this is a weakness of the linux community and we need to make this better um and there's money to be made in it right so there's um I'm blanking on the name of the tool that everybody uses oh. uh, right now. Live, live, wire, wire, wire cast. Wirecast. Yep. Wirecast is on Windows and Mac, um, and people pay lots of money for it—five hundred bucks per seat uh, or for more. the pro version of it. Uh, and and so there's money to be made on it. Somebody just needs to do it on Linux. But I, the problem is, once somebody does it on Linux. Uh, it will be open source, or some part of it will be open sourced, and then somebody will take it off, and suddenly there's no money to be made on it. Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I think is happening. Um But, I mean, maybe you could port things over to but The point is, people like myself like to say that, that Linux is a viable platform, and it is as long as you want to do certain things. If you just want to do uh, an email and, and web station, it's fine. If you want to do a gaming station, it's fine. You want to build a server, it's amazing. You want to do a, a live video webcast? No. <laughs> um, I'm using Google Hangouts here because it's the best thing on Linux. And it's not even on Linux. It's on the web. Right. It's, uh, class but it does, it doesn't platform. do everything I want to do.
1: Well, and there's other uh, things too that are missing that, that we, that people have in Windows that we don't have in Linux world. Uh, we were talking pre-show about how you can't adjust your white balance. Because there's no tools allowing you to adjust it, right? Which is is re- and, and it's ridiculous. We should have those type of tools, but you know, we just see. Don't I'm willing.
0: Have I'm I'm willing to not blame the Linux community on that particular one because this this micro this webcam is made by Microsoft, and if I put it on Windows, I can use their drivers and I have those tools. They just haven't open sourced their uh, APIs their their code to their drivers so that they, it can be done on Linux. So that's on Microsoft. Um, they, they, but, but also it's because Linux is, you know, 0.018% of, of the people they care about. Right. And so it's not worth hiring a programmer to port their stuff to Linux. So I'm, I'm willing to give a pass on that one, but these other things that are not hardware specific that can be done with just, you know, just using tools that are available, but it's hard and it's, and it's going to take a lot of time. And, and, you know, the guy who was making webcam studio was, was, really on on uh part to, to, to on the way to do some great stuff i used it for a while uh and when it was you know it was still in the alpha state it wasn't even beta and it was really good but he you know got a real job and i'm not mad at him about that uh and he put all his stuff out there on google code and said all right guys pick up uh pick up where we left off and the internet responded with cricket chirps yeah so there's a thing that's going to go dead when google code goes away and it's something that I need, and something that I'm willing to pay for, frankly. Um, but it's just it's just not out there. It's not the tools that I want to do. Uh, the tools for an advanced user just aren't available uh, on Linux in so many cases, especially in, in the terms of of media, of of broadcasting and audio and, and video. I mean, as I've said before, I, I do the recording for this show on a Windows box because my mixer doesn't work on Linux. And again, I'm willing to give the Linux people a pass on that because it's the alesis company that didn't make a driver for it but you know it's it's a self-replicating thing right if we had better tools more people would be using it and there would be a bigger market for them to to write drivers to
1: right it's just a chicken and egg thing and right now there is neither In some of them in some tools now you have other tools you know like um I'm sure we're going to get some flack or some some angry emails about the fact that we're we're not seeing any, any love about in Live or um, what's that other one? Shot, is it Shotwell that does video editing? Or? Yeah, right.
0: And that's fine for offline post-production. Right. And they're still not as good as their Windows or Microsoft counterparts, but at least they do exist. Uh, the trouble is for live video and audio, stuff just doesn't exist. Right. Or if it does, tell me I'm wrong. If it does and I don't know about it, awesome. I'd love to know. Let me know. So
1: tell us, people, get on that, get on those emails and let's, let's hear some, something other than flame. It'd be nice to hear some creative thoughts instead of just, you know, marks full of garbage.
0: (laughs) So one, one of my goals is to make this a fully produced live video, uh, production. And I want to then record that live video and produce it. I want to have an audio feed and a video feed. Something I've wanted to do for a long time. Two things have held me back. One, it's expensive and I just haven't had the, you know, the spare resources to do that. You guys are stepping up. Uh in and with Patreon and with the Audible uh link and the Amazon link and and the, you know, great guys over at Linux Academy uh letting us uh uh, uh prostrate ourselves to them uh, for sponsorship um uh, the the money is now coming in it's not it's not huge but it's there's some there right for a long time this cost me money Then for a long time, it was a break even thing. Now I'm starting to make a little money. So I'm taking that money and I'm, you know, I'm giving back. We've talked about that. Uh, I take 10% of everything that comes in and I give it to some, uh, worthy open source project. I'm, I'm paying these guys, which is something that for three and a half years, they didn't make anything. Now they make a pittance, but at least they make a little money. Um, and then I'm taking what's left over and I'm putting it back in gear and I, and I want to make this, you know, a better thing. So I'm, I'm excited that you guys are stepping up and you're making some money come in. More would be better as, as with everything, you know, as w- with, with uh, everything except maybe bacteria, uh, more <laughs> is better. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm confident that's going to happen, but I also know that unless things radically change, when I get to that point where I have the resources and I have the, the, the capacity to do the thing I want to do, I'm gonna to have to do it on Windows. Which is sad. And that just makes that frustrates
1: me. And it's sad. We shouldn't have to be in that position. You know, we're trying to be a Linux only show, and you know, it's sad that we don't have the tools to do it. So yeah. That goes back to our conversation that we had a couple months ago about if you need the software and it's out there, you should pay at least donate something. To the the people doing it, because obviously, if the if, if it was a webcam studio guy, if he would have if he would have been making money on his project from donations, maybe he wouldn't have had to get a real job, and he would have been able to keep working on it. Just a fuck people.
0: Yeah, and I would be happy to pay him or somebody else, you know, five hundred dollars for uh, a finished product that's equal uh, equivalent to what's out there now, because that's the going rate. Five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars I that's that's I, that's okay I'm willing to do that trouble is that's not enough money for somebody to stop working for a while to code this thing right so it would have to be lots of people paying five hundred dollars is in um, and you know we the Linux community has a reputation stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason yeah and the stereotype of the Linux guy is he doesn't pay for no- nothing and and there's a reason that's out there
1: yeah and well and I think the Personally, though, I think that that mentality is slowly changing with, you know, the, the idea of micropayments from your Android devices and your, your in-app purchases. It's slowly, I think that that is starting to change. Um, but I know personally, uh, I've bought lots of software, be it on Android or, you know, terrestrial. Um, but it, it's just one of those things. If it's a, a project that I'm using, that I'm actively using, you know, more than say once a month, I will actively pay for something. No problem. So, just my my thought on it. Wow, we just went down a rabbit hole.
0: No, that's all right. I, <laughs> I I wanted to go there. It was it was a planned rabbit hole. Uh but because we did, we don't have any more time for news stories. So, Seth, tell us what happened this week in internet history. Okay, this is a pretty big deal.
2: Uh, March fifteenth, nineteen eighty five. So. 30 years ago today, actually, the first internet domain name is registered symbolics.com. Uh, you go there today, it's like this weird page that doesn't really do anything but sit there and perpetually load. Um, but it was the first internet domain name registered, and that happened this week in history,
0: low these 30 short years ago. Hmm. So here's the About page from Symbolics.com. Symbolics.com is owned by a small investor group in Dallas, Texas. The site offers unique and interesting facts pertaining to business and Internet history. Symbolics.com is also, also, also offers uh, unique advertising opportunities for select, for select companies. So how did I come to own the first domain name registered on the internet? Symbolics.com was registered on March fifteenth, nineteen 1985. I was five years old. I like to tell everyone that I had incredible foresight as a toddler, but that's not the case. Hmm. Uh, So the Symbolics Computer Corporation, they registered the name and they they were ahead of their time. So that's a neat little thing. So you go to the about... uh, page for that and learn a little bit, a bit about it but see the, the about page itself,
2: wouldn't load for me earlier i, I it just okay. clicked and it wouldn't do anything so this time it came up for me so
0: doesn't seem to be super useful from what i can tell but i've only spent 45 seconds on it. yeah it's well you, you spent
2: 30 seconds longer or you spent 44 <laughs> seconds longer than what it takes <laughs> to find out everything so um but yeah so that, that happened that's a I mean, that's how young the internet is. 30 years old is the oldest residence around.
0: Well, that's, yeah, that's the, the web, not so much the internet. Well, right? so
2: well, the first internet
0: name, right? So what I used to teach compute, basic computer literacy to teachers. And one of the things, one of the demonstrations I used to do, uh, again, you got to go back to 1997 when this was happening, 98, um, I would say, you know, people talk about getting on the Internet. I would lay an Ethernet cable on the floor and stand on it and say, now I'm on the Internet. That's what it takes to be on the Internet. The Internet is a collection of of hardware devices running specific protocols. What you want to be is on the web, and the web is a software device that sits on top of a hardware device. And I use the analogy of uh, the calculator in Windows. You owe the calculator. It's not a real calculator. It's a software calculator that performs the functions of a calculator on the computer. And that's what the web is. The web is a software device that runs on top of the hardware internet. Um, <laughs> so I get, I still to these days get a little, uh, to this day get a little cranky when somebody says, you know, I found it on the internet. Really, you were crawling along a fiber optic cable and saw it. You found it on the web.
2: I have a better yeah, luck finding something I'm, on the internet than in it at my bandwidth.
0: <laughs> that's just because I'm pedantic and a jerk. Uh, so Seth, what happens? What do you have this week to lower my productivity so that you look like a better hiring opportunity? Okay, well this week
2: I'm actually out to help people uh, get ahead in life. So this is a good one. This is if you go to magnifymoney.com/slash/compare/slash/savings/accounts. This shows you the best rates oh, cool. that can be found on uh, web-based uh, banks. Because as you know, most brick-and-mortar banks charge you money to not do anything with your money. But like, for example, and this has actually changed from whenever I first came across the site earlier this week, um, you can find, um, 1.15% interest on a zero minimum balance at quorum federal credit union. So, and again, you're thinking that's only 1.15%. If you think that's nothing, go look and see how much are you making on your savings account? So um, compounded daily. Yeah. That's, that matters too. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Um, you know,
0: but yeah, so this is just a different thing. This.
2: And, and these numbers change because like I say earlier in the week, um, Salem five direct at 1.1 was the best one out there. So here it is in less than a week you know, and maybe has the, um, it has the fed talks about raising interest rates. These numbers will go up. So if you're looking to, and for quorum, you don't have to, you can open it with $10, you know, start now with a few bucks and as you get a few more, put it in there. Um, you know, this is, I'm, I'm helping, I'm giving back.
0: Oh, did you go away or did I go away?
1: Uh, I think Seth did. I think
0: Seth went away. All right. Uh, so I, I I was going to say that the, Some time ago, due to an inheritance situation, uh, we, we, my wife and I came into a fairly significant sum of money that I have been putting in various accounts. And, you know, I get statements back and say that, that this quarter you made $23 in interest. So, you know, interest is something, it used to be that you could get 10 or 12%, but, uh, that's not the case anymore. So 1%. 1% One percent is a bigger deal than you might think it is.
1: Yeah, I, I was pretty happy with my uh, one of my one of my accounts is sitting over at Ally, and I'm pretty impressed that they gave, you know, they have ninety nine. According to this site, it's ninety nine point ninety nine percent on their standard savings, their online savings. So that's pretty good, yeah, in my opinion. I, I have
0: one of those those interest bearing checking accounts, and the the first number after the decimal was a zero. That's that's my. Regular interest rate. It's zero point something, point zero something.
1: Yeah. So with, with point nine nine as your savings, and I think it's point seven nine for your checking, um, Ally has been treating me really good.
2: Are you back, Seth? I, can you hear me now? I can hear you. Now. Okay. I, I, I could always hear you all. I don't know what happened, but yeah, I'm at Discover, so I get point nine, and, uh, I'm thinking about leaving them, but at the same time, why move? You know, I don't know. Maybe open another one. Who knows?
0: (laughs) All right. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can. Was there something else? No,
2: no. I was just going to vamp a little bit more.
0: Okay. Uh, This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can let us know what you think through the EDL app. Now, make that happen. But also, you can go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button. You know, now if I say that everybody's going to do the app, now it's incumbent on me. To be reading all the comments from the app. Wow. Um, Whoops. I'm not sure I want to commit to that. But anyway, go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page. A nice little form comes out there with one of the hardest captures in the world. Um, and you fill that out. It sends a nicely formatted email my way, which gets a priority in my inbox. So I always see those. Uh, Unless they go to spam, which doesn't happen often, but has happened. Uh, also, you can send us an email directly, edl@elementopi.com. That goes to all three of us. Uh, lest you think I am filtering your brilliant comments uh, from the other gentlemen. Or if you would like your voice to appear right alongside ours in the in the show, you can dial five five nine. I am anywhere in North America. Um, and uh, if you live outside the 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 U.S. Or outside of North America, I don't even know if you can call that number, but just send me a recorded file and that'll be fine. You send me a, a voicemail through whatever, because um, I, I like hearing from people. We do. I do have a couple in the uh, hopper right now that just didn't think was appropriate for this particular show, but uh, there will be some coming up. As I o- often say, we do this for you, so it's important for us to know what you think about it. Um, and also, if somebody out there wants to give us uh, millions of dollars so that we can, you know, develop software for uh, Linux, I'm all for that. Yeah, no uh, kidding. I'm probably not the best guy to give that money to, but I'll take it from you anyway.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> we'll find a good place to put some of it.
0: Um, you guys got any closing comments or, or commentary before we close? Well, we're supposed to have an yes. interview
1: next week, so I'm
2: looking forward
0: to that. Oh, yes. Um, uh. What's the guy's name? Do you remember?
2: Um, let me see. Alex is the Alex. guy's name, if I recall.
0: From Kano.com, right?
2: Yes. The, um, they take the Raspberry Pi and turn it into a uh, code teaching per, uh, to teach youngsters how to get involved in that they're coding. And I really wasn't able to put that to much use this past weekend because a lot of it relies with stuff you get online and getting involved <laughs> in the online community. So, uh, I'm really hoping to get some hands on with it before the interview.
0: It's it's kano.me not .com. Yeah. No. So yeah, we uh, we that that's our first uh, first guest of the year I think, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So we we'll, we look forward to more of those sort of things but the I, i'm always interested to see what people do with these microcomputers you know the arduino and the pi and and the banana pi and the uh intel nook which isn't really a micro pc it's just a small thing but anyway <laughs> um i'm always interested to see what people do with these things and when they do stuff you know related to education i feel even more uh excited about it because you know I, that's the world i was in for so long uh but yeah this i'm looking forward to this so next week uh, tune in, um, I think, at the regular time. I think we went back to the fact that it's now at the regular time, Sunday night, 7.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time. Um, you figure out what time that is for you, and we'll have um, Alex from the Kano Project Company, whatever it
1: is, on with us. Yeah, it'll be great. Can't wait.
0: So, Chris, glad to have you back. Uh, Seth, uh, Chris, as always, you, you're the great host. You're, you're the best I can afford. Uh, and, and uh, we, 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 I love having you listener, as always. Uh, you're the reason we do this show, as I just said. And, and we, uh, we're glad you're out there. If you want to donate, I've already told you, you know, previously several ways to do that. Um, if you want to, the, the biggest way you can help us is to just tell other people about it. Go, go give us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or, uh, you know blueberry or whatever <laughs> you listen to on you know any way you can tell people about us uh, obviously we hope you say good things um, so tell bad people tell good things to everybody else tell bad things to you. there you go and so uh, we'll see you next week this listen